Gospels with you this morning and you want to turn there, I'll be taking some Scripture out of the Gospel according to John in chapter 5. And we'll start reading around verse 1. Uh, I believe that this is a, uh, a set of Scripture. Maybe, you, you know, when you hear John chapter 5, you don't immediately know what particular Scripture this is. But this is about the, the man at the pool of Bethesda. And, uh, you know, anytime that I think about this Scripture, I can't help but think about the chapter before, in which that it was that Jesus, we, we find Him in Samaria, and He encounters a woman who's come out to the well, you know, at a time that, 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 she, that people normally didn't come out to the well. She's drawing water. And Jesus, as the great physician, He finds the sore spot, he pokes it, just like a, a, a good physician will do. You know, I've often wondered that you tell them my shoulder hurts and the first thing they'll want to do is want to move your shoulder. Uh, of course, that's part of the diagnostic process. And uh, Jesus comes to this woman and ultimately, not, not to, to really get too much into that, but ultimately what she does is she goes back to the town, a town of people that didn't like her. In fact, you could almost go as far as to say they hated her. She goes back to them and she says, come see a man. And then they come because she tells him, look, he said he, he knew everything about me. I've never met this guy before. He asked me for a drink of water. He told me about living water. He told me that he was the Messiah that was to come. And it's not very often at that point in the Scripture that Jesus revealed the fact that he was the Messiah to just anybody. This was a woman obviously taken in a fault, obviously a sinner. She had uh, been married four different times and had a fifth live-in husband. And Jesus told her about all of these things and He spoke kindly with her and dealt with her. And she called the people out and they came out to see Jesus and they believed at His Word. And the way that that chapter ends is that Jesus spends a couple of days with them and then He moves on. And you see a lot of times though in chapter 4 and chapter 5, what you find is Jesus, when He went to Samaria, He said, I must needs go to Samaria, which sounds like bad English, but essentially what He's saying is, I have to go to Samaria. He had an appointment with this woman at Samaria. Well, here in chapter 5, we find that he has another appointment. And this person is down in the midst of sin, but it's not just in uh, uh, emotional sin or in societal sin, but it's physical sickness that this man has when we find him there at the pool of Bethesda. And a lot of times we may uh, be going about our lives and we're not really looking for the Lord. Maybe it is that as a Christian uh, we've gotten a little bit cold or we've kind of forgot Him or put Him on the back burner. We've gotten busy with other things. Uh, uh, but praise be to God, He never forgets about us. Uh, uh, that He'll come looking for us. He'll seek us out even when we're not even looking for Him. And as, as always comes to my mind when I read this particular set of Scripture is the scene from the movie Forrest Gump when that uh, Lieutenant Dan asked him, have you found Gump, Jesus? And he said, I didn't even know I was supposed to be looking for Him. And I kind of think that that's the way this man at the pool of Bethesda was. He found Jesus and he wasn't even looking for Him. That Jesus came to him. Uh, and I can tell you that uh, when we're down praying for our loved ones to get saved, uh, when we're seeking uh, a touch from the Lord, that a lot of times uh, we've got to wait on Him to be there in His time. And we'll start reading at verse 1 of John chapter 5. It says, And after this... There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, that verse right there tells you that it wasn't by accident. 
That Jesus didn't just happen to run into this guy. And any time that you cross paths with somebody and you're able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't write it off as an accident. Don't write it off as a coincidence. But write it off as the divine providence of the Most High God. And pray that the Lord allows you to bless somebody the way that Jesus would bless people when He would come into their life. And so Jesus, we find Him here in Jerusalem. He'd left Samaria. He'd come back to Jerusalem. And it says in verse 2, Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now you think about the significance of this. If this happened today, there would be people there right now. You would find some of the most wealthy people in the world that would be there waiting because just like Steve Jobs come to the realization toward the end of his life that all the billions of dollars that he had wasn't going to stave off death. That I imagine he would have found himself looking at things like this. And they were there for hope. They needed help with their physical infirmities and they believed firmly in that pool. And so there was a lot of people there. It says, you know, there was a great multitude. And whoever got to the water first after that it was stirred, uh, uh, that they would be made whole. Didn't matter what disease it was. Now one may begin to question, would that mean if they were missing a limb it would grow back? Why, I don't know, but a miracle is a miracle, isn't it? And that if they had cancer, that it would be cured. And, and what a wonderful thing that this was, but it was kind of on a first come, first serve basis. And I, the, the, the picture that's painted is whoever gets in there first gets it and then the second person doesn't get anything. And so we find now that this is the, the stage that's set for all of these people. Now I'm going to go ahead and go a little further with my vivid imagination and say you really wouldn't want to hang around where all these sick people are. Okay, you might catch something. But some of them that were there, they were the most desperate in the most dire need. There were likely lepers there. There were likely people that had communicable diseases there. People that had physical deformations and things like that. But there's one in particular that Jesus has an appointment with. And it says now in verse 5, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Now only in the last few years have I come to be older than what this man was at this particular time. But he had had this physical infirmity for 38 years. He lived with it. Okay, uh, From my understanding in the later part of this chapter, he's been that way from birth. Okay, So reasonable to assume he's 38 years old. It was a congenital problem. And a lot of times even now, you know, whenever somebody has a problem from birth, they'll, we'll treat it as though it's unfixable. It's uncurable. It just can't be dealt with. And yet this man is here and he's wanting to be able to get into the water whenever it's troubled. And I think at this point he knows he really doesn't have much of a shot. But notice in verse 6 is when Jesus shows up. It says, When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had now been a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And you see that question right there, and I've heard sermons preached on it and all that, but Jesus is asking him, would you like to be made whole? 
Would you like some help? Would you get what you need? Will you be made whole? And the man understands the context of the question, but only in a limited way. And then he begins to explain as to why that he can't be. And this is a lot of times when we get down and pray, this is the same attitude we have. We say, well now God, I need this, but I know uh, it might not be in your will. might lie outside your willingness to do. But we're not called to come to the throne of God and be careful or worried. It says we're to come boldly before the throne of God. He says in verse 7, The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. He says, I can't get there. I can't get what I need. Now this is no different than the man uh, uh, who was crippled and his four friends brought him to Jesus. And they had to tear the roof off and lower him down into the presence of Christ. Uh, and that Christ marveled at their faith. Uh, and He healed the man right in their midst. And then He grabbed his bed and left there with it. But this man, he says, I'm not able to get what I need. And here's the thing. One of the big things that really causes us to turn over control to God is when we have no other choice. When we find ourselves in a situation where we can't, it's outside of our control. But a lot of times, where that it is that we push the Lord to the back burner is when we think we have control. When we think we can handle something. When a situation arises that we're familiar with and we think, well, I've got this. I've been through this. I know the recipe for success. But do we really? And if you're not careful, you see, when you think along those lines, that's in the same level of arrogance as the man who said, you know, I've got all this stuff and I need to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. Never once considering eternity. Never once considering the will of God. That when you get a blessing in this life, do you stop and say, now God, how can I use this to bless somebody else? Because we've got all these excuses of why we can't go, what we can't do, why we can't work, because I'm too young, I'm too old, I don't have enough money, I have too much money. Whatever it is, we look around and we have all these excuses, but then when we get a blessing... Why isn't it that we don't turn around and say, God, direct me to use this as a blessing for others. That they may see Your good in me. Because you think about what Jesus could have had when He came into this world. To give you an idea, He could, do, he could have done anything. Okay? Satan, when he came and tempted him, he said, if you're the Son of God, command that those stones be made bread. Jesus could have built a bakery. We've talked about that quite a bit. Uh, of all the things that he did, he could have just come in and set up a kingdom like King David. He could have done all those things. He could have been the richest man that ever lived in the world. He knew the, the future just as well as we know the present. He could have done all those things, but He didn't. He said, Behold, I am meek and lowly in spirit. That He came into this world, and when they crucified Him, the only earthly possessions that He had were the clothes on His back. That was it. He didn't have these things. Now, He could have done that, but what He did have is He wielded the power of the Most High. Uh, That if you turn back into the first chapter of this book, you see that John said that everything that was made was made by the Word, which was made flesh, uh, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, He could have been rich. He could have had everything that He wanted, but He didn't. And He came into this world meek and lowly, but He had all that power. And you know what He did? He blessed people. 
And He helped people. And He suffered long with them. And so He comes to this man. Laying there on the ground. Not able to get up under His own power. Jesus asked Him the question, would you be made whole? Uh, Are you here that you might receive healing? And this man had given up on himself and his own abilities. uh, And his friends apparently had departed from Him. He had no man, nobody to help Him. Unlike the man that got lowered down into Jesus' midst, this man didn't have anybody. And I can tell you, that's about the time that somebody's ready for the Lord to come into their life. When they're, they're down on the ground, they have nothing that they can count on. Uh, that every plan that they've had has failed. And I'd say this man was here at the longest of all the shots. That we find him laying here, sitting flat on the ground. And Jesus walks up and looks down at him and says, Would you be made whole? Or maybe he squats down next to him. But Jesus is the one person that comes amidst all these sick people. You wouldn't find any Pharisees here because this was an unclean place. They wouldn't want to get sick. They wouldn't even so much as want to touch these people. But we find Jesus amongst them. Because I would imagine that Jesus had to walk past a few people in order to get to this one man. And some may say, well, why this guy and not somebody else? Because He was ready. Because He was ready to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe me, if you read on, and we're not going to have time to get there, but if you read on, you'll look around and He says, you know what? I I don't know exactly what His name was or anything like that, but no man could do what He did unless He had the power of the Most High. He declares Him the Lord when they're questioning, when they're doubting Him. But Jesus really doesn't talk to Him a whole lot. He asks Him a question. He tells him why that he can't be made whole. And then notice in verse 8. Jesus saith unto him, Rise up, take up thy bed, and walk. He didn't do physical therapy on him. He didn't give him antibiotics, bandage him up, anything like that. He just told him. Commanded the very word of the Most High God come to this man in this moment. He just looks at him. Now I imagine, you know, in a lot of contexts, people would think of this being like when you come to somebody and they're in the middle of anxiety or depression, you say, just don't worry. Oh yeah, well thanks, I I didn't think of that. Don't be afraid. Oh okay, yeah, well that solves it all. But Jesus looks at this man and with the same authority that He stood at the tomb of Lazarus uh, and said, Lazarus, come forth. Uh, and a dead man uh, with dead ears heard Him uh, and got up. Uh, that He speaks to this man and He says, Rise up, take up your bed and carry it out of here. Uh, and then in verse 9 it says, And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Jesus had a Sabbath day appointment uh, with this man. Uh, So that through all of this now, like I said, we don't have time to read all the rest of this, but I urge you, if you're not familiar with it, to read it. But ultimately what happens is the goon squad stops him on the way to the house. Now he's excited and he's happy. I don't know about you all, but there have been times in my life when I've been so excited or happy and I'm walking along, it's not a normal walk. It's a bit of a, 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 a dancing walk. And trust me, you don't ever want to see me do that. I can't dance. i barely got enough rhythm to sing. That's about it. But I imagine that while he's carrying this bed, 
And he's walking along that he's got a smile from ear to ear. He's a new man. He's not the creature that went down to the pool of Bethesda. He came away new. He didn't have to go down into the water because he met the Son of the Most High. He didn't question. He got up, took up his bed and walked out of there. And on his way, and I always kind of think of them almost like they were hiding behind a bush watching for people. You know, like a speed trap or something like that. They were watching... And here he comes and they jump out with their clubs, popping them in the palm of their hand. You didn't carry that bed. Don't you know what day it is? It's the Sabbath, son. You can't be, you can't be doing that. And then he answered and said, look, the guy that made me able to walk, he's the one that told me to do this. And it, and it squares perfectly with what Jesus said, which is it better to do, to hearken unto the voice of the Lord or unto the voice of man? And they, hey, who told you to do that? You know, I don't, I, I don't believe I caught his name. And they accuse him of being one of his disciples, and they rail on him. They bring his family in, bring his parents in, and they begin to ask them, and they look at him and say, Look, he's of age, he's over 38 years old, ask him. And they said, do you believe he's a prophet? He said, well, I don't know. But what I do know is that he told me this and I was once crippled and now I'm made whole. He was the one that did it. He had the authority. And this squares with what you will encounter in chapter 8 of this same book in which Jesus tells the Pharisees, if you don't believe me because of what I'm saying, believe me for the very work's sake. Just look at what I've done. The same as when John's disciples come to him and they say, are you the one or do we look for another? He said, tell John what you see. Tell him that the blind now see when they encounter me. And the deaf hear, the lame walk, uh, uh, that the, to the poor, the gospel is preached. And this man, what he got in that day was he got a commandment from the Lord that he was more than willing to obey. And any time that we're called to obey and hearken to the voice of the Lord, don't you forget that the devil and his goons are going to be nearby. They're going to be hiding behind the bushes. They're going to jump out. They're going to try to knock the props out from under you. Just like that they did this guy. But in the trying of his belief, and it was little at that moment. Okay, All he knew was what had happened. This guy, this beardy-faced fellow that almost looked like a homeless man, walked up to him asking that question while he was there amongst a bunch of sick people. And then he told him to take up his bed and walk and he was made whole. And so that's exactly what that he did. That was all that he had. But as they began to test and try him, he began to believe more. And he later would encounter Jesus, and Jesus would say, Follow me. Told him, Follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. And a lot of times in our lives that we work for the Lord and we get slapped down by the world and we want to quit. But there's no stopping point. And think about this, whatever time that you have left in this world, if, if your funeral were to be at the end of this coming week, that all of your brothers and sisters in Christ and all your loved ones, if they were gathered together, how many would say they were a blessing to me? How many would look down at you and be like, my life is so much better because that you lived. Because you were in this world. And then think about the good that you've done. You know, I don't think it's a secret, but one of my favorite movies of all time is It's a Wonderful Life. 
And it's because that a man gets to see the effect that he had on other people. He was a miserable man until that he saw what a blessing he was. Until that he looked around and realized that he really lived, as the movie would suggest, a wonderful life. He was miserable most of his life because he'd never seen that he was a blessing to all of the people that was around him. The movie begins out with people in prayer praying for the main character. That's a good way to start a movie. They're praying for him. He never thinks of himself, Lord, help him. This is his most desperate hour. You ever been in your most desperate hour? You don't know what to do? There's a scene in the movie where that he tries to pray in a bar, which is not recommended. He gets punched in the mouth. And he says, well, that's a response to my prayer. got punched in the mouth. And the angel of the Lord tells him, no, that wasn't in response to your prayer. But I can tell you this. It may be that in being the blessing, you suffer like a dog. But I think Paul had the best words for that when he said, but look, the blessings that are to come, that the sufferings in this life are not even worthy to be counted against the blessings that are to come. That we look around in this life and we want blessed, but are we willing to bless? Are we willing to help? Knowing that we may never get repaid in this life for it. That there may not be a moment when the townsfolk and everybody that we helped shows up at the end and begins to pour out their love on us. That we may die suffering and in agony. And you may think, well, that's not fair, but then look at the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus, when He walked this world, you look at the blessings that He bestowed on people. This man wasn't able to walk or do for himself or do anything. Something that everybody here takes for granted. To be able to just get up and walk across the room. To have dreams and desires that go beyond just mobility. Okay? And Jesus helped him. Blind people He helped. Dead, He raised to life. He was a funeral-ruining Savior. He calmed storms at the sea. He'd done good in this world. He was a good teacher. He was a good man. They took Him and they hanged Him on a cross and killed Him. Now is that fair? I would say that it's not. But it wasn't about what was fair. You see, we serve a just God. And sin has to be dealt with. You see this man here? You know, there, there's another point in the Gospel according to John. The particular spot escapes me at the moment in which that he's asked, Jesus is asked, well, who did sin, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. He's this way for the glory of God. He's been put in this position so that I could come and heal Him and God would receive the glory. Have you ever suffered and looked around and said, God, let this be to Your glory. God, let this be that somebody sees me weather this with Your joy in my heart that they may see Your glory in me. And that that might be a blessing. You know the prayer of Jabez, one of the things it says is, Oh Lord, that You would bless me. You think about that. That that and trust me, you're not a miss when you're asking for that. I know you might not be big on praying for yourself, but ask for God's blessing. Ask for his help. Don't wait till your desperate moment. Seek him always. And don't just come with a list, but ask for instruction. You know, I've heard it said one time before, and, and, and I think it's largely true that it seems like we spend a lot of time 
we got to be careful that we don't spend so much time in our prayer life trying to keep saved people out of heaven that we're not worried about the people that are dying and going to hell. Now, I don't want to see my loved ones die. But the ones that are saved, if they do leave this world, they're going to a better place. But do we pray more for the ones that we selfishly want to keep in this world than we pray for the ones that are lost and when they die, they'll go to the devil's hell? We should be most earnestly praying for them. And it's an easy trap to fall into. I know. But you see, in seeking to be a blessing, seeking to be a blessing would mean that we might find ourselves in some pretty bad places. Some places that we don't want to go. Places that aren't comfortable. But I can tell you this, if God leads you there, He'll take care of you while you're there. That Jesus, He came to this man. This man had no hope. And Jesus gave him not only hope, He healed him, He sent him on His way. And this man, because of what Jesus had done for him, it may be a simple thing. To you or I just getting up and walking across the room is a simple thing. But to somebody that can't do it, what a blessing that is. And maybe you can't heal their legs, but maybe you can go for them. You can help them. You see, when's the last time that we've said, Lord, help me to be willing to do Your will even when it's uncomfortable. Even when it's not easy. I can tell you, there have been lots of times when God has called me to do something I didn't want to do. And it was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. Didn't enjoy it at the time. But I've also looked around and thought to myself in those moments when I was trotting out my excuses as to why that I can't or I shouldn't. And the Lord showed me this is the last time that they'll have this opportunity. And I've picked you to do it. You see, in my study of the military over the years of my life, and I've never served, that I've found, you know, they, they talk about elite groups in the military. And, you know, when, when that I first heard that word, you know, I knew they were highly trained. They had a lot of ability. They were elite. But elite doesn't just mean that. Actually, that, those other things are implied. Elite means you volunteered for it. You signed up. See, because during World War II, if you've ever had an occasion to read the book Band of Brothers or watch the miniseries that they made years ago, I would recommend it, that some of the men signed up for the paratroops, and this was a brand new thing. And they signed up for it. One of them said that he signed up. I've read the book and watched the series. And he said, I signed up for the paratroops because I got drafted. He said, but I didn't want to be in a foxhole with a draftee that was going to get me killed. He said, I wanted to have the person next to me who had volunteered. and I knew that I could count on them and that they were highly trained and highly motivated and that they had the abilities that were necessary. And I would say that every Christian is in an elite group when it comes to the Most High God. We signed up for this. When I, when I came to the Lord, it wasn't as though that I didn't know that there wasn't suffering because I was very familiar with the Bible. The Apostle Paul, he spent most of his life after he encountered Christ suffering. He had it pretty easy before. After that, all he did was suffer. But then it's well understood that Paul, when the end of his life came, that he went like the same man who was carrying his bed. A big smile on his face. He said, I'm going home. Suffering's done. 
You know, because when, when I read Romans chapter 8 there, when he, when he lists the list of things, when he said, I'm convinced that neither height nor depth nor principalities, nor things to come, nor things past, nor anything in this world can separate us from the love of God. I'd say he was the most qualified person to ever say that. He was more qualified than anybody else to be able to say that. And he went with a smile because he knew that he'd worked for the Lord. He fought a good fight and kept the faith, finished the course. I don't know where I stand as far as that good fight and finishing the course. I don't know how much more that I've got. But I do know this, that every day I, I strive for it, if nothing else, to just be one more step in the right direction. Some days that might be all you can manage. That might be all that you can do. It might be that all you can do is just point to Jesus. It might be that all you can do is just read a Scripture, pray a prayer. You can't see out for everything else that's going on. But still, let that be a blessing to whomever finds themselves under your sphere of influence. This man was blessed because of what Jesus had done. And he come into this world that men might have life and that they have it more abundantly. Don't live like you're dead. Live like you've just got more life ahead of you when this life comes to an end. Don't hold back. Don't be afraid of an enemy who can only destroy the body. But fear God. That is the beginning of wisdom. Let's all stand.